Welcome to episode 365 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Are you thinking about writing a business book this year? That's a big goal. I know because I've successfully launched three independently published business books. Each book has over 200 Amazon reviews and it's not because I have a massive list. I believe your book launch strategy should wake up your network, leading to opportunities such as prospects, referral partners, invitations to be on podcasts and to speak. The initial goal is to get 50 or more Amazon reviews for your book which adds social proof to your book's sales page, increasing the chance the book will sell and other opportunities will become available to you. I'm a business growth strategy coach. I can guide you through building a launch team filled with prospects from your own network and nurturing your launch team to write and post a review. As a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer, I can design and MC your virtual book launch party that builds a pipeline for your next offer. I'm not selling authors access to a 50,000 person email list of people waiting to write reviews. I don't believe that's as helpful as what I just described. The act of asking for reviews and nurturing launch team members through the process is what leads to all the other opportunities. Are you interested in exploring how I can support your business book launch or relaunch? Fill out the form at robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch support. Again, the link is robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch support. Do you need help getting the book written and ready for publication? I've got friends who can help with all phases of the project from concept to ghostwriting to editing to publication. Ask and I'd be happy to make introductions so you have the resources you need to get to 80% ready to publish. That's when I can step in to help you build your book launch strategy. Next, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest is on a mission to empower purpose-driven women service entrepreneurs. She guides women in building strategic networks that lead to referrals, collaboration, visibility, and perhaps most importantly, fun. Her work extends to female founders, helping them connect and grow through authentic connection strategies and private membership communities. She firmly believes that strategic networks open doors and provide a competitive edge in business. Her goal is simple yet profound, ensuring that women entrepreneurs get connected in a way that feels both great and authentic to them all from the comfort of their homes. As the host of the Ravel Radio podcast, she has dedicated her life to creating communities and forging strategic partnerships. Her fascination with human behavior and personality science and her psychology background give her a unique perspective. 
By fostering online communities like the Ravel Collective, she helps women solve problems together, believing that magical things happen when women unite with purpose. Please join me in welcoming Kara Steinman. Welcome. Thanks, Robbie. Good to be here. Thrilled to have you on here. And as you know, it's a, a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Leadership is actually a little bit of a trigger word for me because I think when I was younger, I was told that I was bossy and that I couldn't always be in charge. And so when I became an adult, one of my girlfriends and I were on the phone and she was like, ah, she said something about me being a leader. And I was like, oh, and then I was like, whoa, whoa, what was that? And so I kind of started to examine that a little bit and realized that um, even though I was a, totally a leader when I was a kid, my mom was always like, oh, you're such a leader. I grew up not really feeling like one, like I was entitled to call myself that. So still working on that. But I think I think I would define it as being in being invested in some kind of change. Like you are taking the lead on something. You're doing something that you think needs to be done or uh, making some kind of change that you want to see happen. Yeah, I love that. And and the the downside for little girls listening and the moms <laughs> listening is that whole bossy thing. Like, yeah, I, I think that's still here. Um, oh, and I have, sure. I have a, a soon to be six year old daughter. And oh. um, yeah, I think that, you know, figuring out like who she's getting advice from and her little friend group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's always one kid that like really she comes home and tells me off the bus, like I wasn't allowed to eat Halloween candy at school. What? <laughs> like who said it was a friend. Uh. And I said, that's that might be a rule for her family. And Different families have different rules, and we know yeah. that. But I put it in your snack bag. <laughs> <laughs> I said you can eat candy. She was like, oh, I'm going to eat it when I get home then. And tomorrow, I'm going to tell her. I'm like, no, you don't have to tell her anything, because that's her rule for her family. Because <laughs> like, I don't want her to become the kid who, yeah. So right. it is such a tricky line, because I want her to have a voice. I want her to have a backbone. All that is really important as she grows up in this world. But that label of bossy like, kind of puts kids in their, well, girls in their place. Uh, cause no little boy is ever going to be called bossy. Yeah. Uh, but for you to then rise sort of beyond that, like minimizing label and start to claim I'm here to help direct people in a path forward that feels right to us. Yeah. Um, that's great. When did that start to kind of come to be for you? Like what was the realization that helped you kind of start to see you had some of that skill set? I think COVID helped a lot because I was forced to sit still long enough to actually kind of like marinate in some of the feelings that were happening around entrepreneurship and, you know, changes that I wanted to see that just weren't happening. And, um, you know, that being forced to sit still kind of gives you time to look at your life. And I mean, a lot that happened to a lot of people during COVID. So mm -hmm. it was a good, I mean, it was a good thing and, you know, also difficult, but I think at that point in time, I had started to feel like I was isolating a lot before COVID even because I felt different. I felt like I didn't really fit into an entrepreneur's mold. Like I'm very casual and very flip-flops and hoodies. And I don't feel like, like networking in person has always been terribly anxiety ridden for me. I hated it. And so when everybody wanted to hop on Zoom during COVID, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't have to get dressed up and go anywhere and pretend to have small talk with people. Yeah. So um, I definitely want to dig more into that aspect because you know that's totally up my alley. That's yeah. like a lane. I was hoping we could talk about programming. That. Oh yeah, we'll get into that. But I kind of want to know who you were as a kid because, like, as I've done this show, sometimes you've always been who you are, and sometimes people yeah. do have those epiphany moments that changes 
the chat the shy kid to like the the bold leader growing up so how were you showing up like on the playground you know were you the one helping connect and organize your friends did you run for student office were you part of school activities and clubs like the teachers witness your leadership and want to push you forward or were you kind of the quiet kid with a book sitting off to the side I was not the quiet kid sitting off to the side. <laughs> that happened later when, um, so I'm neurodivergent, which I didn't realize until just recently. And I think that made me extra loud and extra opinionated. And um, I was always coordinating. There's actually a really funny story. My mom started getting calls in third grade one day, all these parents wanting to know how, um, like why their kids were being asked to bring $20 to school for a Disneyland trip. And we were living in Canada at the time. And I had somehow gotten in my math. It's not my strong suit gotten in my head that for, if everybody pitched in 20 bucks, we could all go to Disneyland. <laughs> so I was always building clubs and bringing people together and stuff. But I think somewhere along the way, my way of being didn't fit with what was expected of me. And so I adapted and I masked and I changed and became quiet and pliable and, um, you know, I think a lot of things can contribute to that. Maybe having a little bit of a traumatic childhood and expectations, societal expectations and the patriarchy and capitalism and all that stuff. Um, so from a very bossy, in your face, determined, knows exactly what she wants kid, who's not afraid to say or do anything to an adult woman who's a little more timid and a little afraid to fail and afraid to be judged and really just wants to belong. Um, that was a, you know, pretty quick road. So I think by the time it was time to I never joined leadership or anything like that in high school. By the time it was time to go out for that kind of stuff, I was hiding in a book. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you have almost the inverse experience of a lot of people because when you didn't know better, when you didn't know the repercussions of your actions, yeah. you were way more who you were. You, you're yeah. you. And when that stopped feeling like that was getting you what you wanted and sort of getting more of the negative attention and you decided like to try to mold yourself and mask into those expectations yeah. that were being put on you. And did, I mean, did that help you get through that experience? Cause it's, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Yeah, like, I think so. I think it was the only option at the time. Um, and in employment situations, I had to especially change because they won't, you know, you know, you're supposed to do what you're told and you're supposed to do your job and don't, don't ask questions and just, you know, and I'm always asking, I'm always questioning everything. And I'm always like, well, maybe there's a better way. And I'm really not suited for most employee type jobs. And so I really had to, you know, just box it up. Mm -hmm. And um, so I love being an, an entrepreneur because I can change my mind. I can make mistakes. I can do what I want. I can, you know, question everything. And, yeah. um, and I, I don't get in trouble for it. <laughs> right. Well, cause it's you, right. It's, yeah. a, it's another, it's an extension of who you are when you were, I don't know, around 12 years old. Did you have a sense of what you were going to be when you grew up? Was there a, a path in front of you that someone else made or one that you were thinking of? I think I always wanted to be like a writer. I always loved writing. And so I still, you know, I did end up being a writer. I wrote uh, fitness content and marketing for a long time, but I don't know that I ever wanted to be like a doctor. Well, I did want to be a doctor for a minute. I thought that would be really cool. But the math was a lot, like I said. <laughs> yeah. No, I just am interested in people. I've always been fascinated by people and like why they do what they do and why they are the way they are. And like, why do some people connect and some people don't really, they have a hard time. And I don't know. I just always wanted to just be fascinated by people and have that be enough. Did you have a sense that any of that was going to lead to a job that would pay a living wage? Like, did you know writers? Did you know people who worked with? No, I didn't have any. 
no, I didn't have any like expanders or any kind of people who actually got paid. In fact, like my dad was always really supportive and he was like, I don't know how you're going to get paid, but go for it. So, <laughs> I mean, great. digital marketing helped with that. You could get paid to write, but mm -hmm. there again, that was actually not a really a great thing for me necessarily because I was writing in other people's voices. And so I just hit a point recently where I was like, I really wanted to write for myself. And I realized I couldn't like sit down and write in my own voice anymore after years of, you know, SEO and learning, you know, copywriting strategies and all these things and taking on clients' voices. I was like, where's my voice in all of this now? So that's been kind of part of the peeling back experience also is kind of getting back to what my voice is. You know, that reminds me of is I remember, um, so the people that tend to be attracted to what I do for coaching are entrepreneurial women in their 50s and beyond who are looking mm -hmm. to grow their impact and income through some kind of new revenue stream. And the part that I help them with is recognizing that they have 20 or 30 years of building up a network that is there to, to help them, that while they might feel like a novice at marketing or the tech or promoting themselves in some way, that that feels a little uncomfortable and new, they have a lot they're building off of. But I remember a woman who said to me, I don't even know what I like on my pizza. I was yeah. home alone, decided I want pizza, went to call and realized that none of my kids were home and I didn't know what to put on the pizza because I've always put on the pizza based on who was home. And that's interesting. That's kind of your saying, like, now it's my chance to write my yeah. voice. It's like, what oh, do I? What is that? <laughs> yeah. I really felt that strongly, that kind of sense of what you were just saying when COVID hit and I realized I hated marketing as a marketer who hated marketing. And I was like, well, I clearly can't go back to work for someone else. I'm very unemployable. So that means I have to pivot this business and figure out what to do and what I'm great at. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm good at. What am I even good at? And I think uh, for me, a lot of the skills that I have are very like relationship oriented and strategic. And those don't necessarily translate to like a deliverable. And there's so much emphasis put on the tangible, the deliverable, what did you do today? What did you produce today? And so if I say I sat around and thought about things all day long, my husband would be like, well, lucky you, isn't that nice? I'm like, that's very hard work, actually. <laughs> it's much easier to just do widgeting, like whatever that widget company tells you yeah. to do, right? So just like follow yeah. the path laid out versus what you're doing, which is you're, you're before you walk into a jungle with your machete to clear the path, <laughs> you think through the best possible way forward, right? Like, and then you get to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it sounds like you bounced around a bunch of different jobs. And you found your oh, way yeah. into copywriting. Did, was college a given for you or did you skip that? Yeah, I was that was very much like I'm going to college. I didn't know exactly. I thought maybe pre-med for a little bit, but um, I didn't know. I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist for a minute. But then I did a summer internship at a group home for severely emotionally disturbed teenage girls. And I cried every day coming home. I was just it was just devastating you know, and, and a little too close to home. I think I was too emotional about it. And I was like, well, clearly I can't do this job. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I ended up being a pomegranate farmer for like eight years right out of college. My dad had a pomegranate farm and I worked with him on the farm. So it's kind Where of a random that? beginning. It, it just down the street here in California. Wow. They grow really well in California. This incredible video where someone was showing how you like cut the top of it off and you it was like i just saw the, that on tiktok the simplest way to open a pomegranate yeah. i've ever seen and then people were in the comments were like well pomegranates here in the u.s are not that big that's why it won't work <laughs> and i was like oh but it really made me want to go and buy a pomegranate and like they, they're pretty big here you can get them well i think probably by you in california versus <laughs> here in pacific uh, in the in the uh, northeast I oh yeah say, maybe not like we're not really getting the best because they're being shipped and probably plucked off the 
off the. I'll, I'll send you some. Yeah, we'll we'll work that out. But that was kind of a funny <laughs> moment. Um, so it it sounds like you, yeah, you have like a wavy sort of path forward. And when you look back, does it all make sense? Does that broken road? That's make the only sense? way it makes sense. Hmm. I when I was one of the so when I COVID hit and I was like ah everything's falling apart. What do I do? Oh my god. I really dug into the psychology, like my psychology. I did all this personality tests again. I did, you know, the discovered the Colby A index. And one of the things I did was a timeline of, I did my core values and then I did a timeline and looked at all of the things, the job changes, the relationships, all the things. And was I was looking for anti-values. Like when this didn't work out, what was offending which value of mine? Like what was going on here? And looking back the thread that came through it was a lot more obvious than, you know, when you're just sitting there going, well, I have bounced around a lot and there's a lot of shame around that because, I mean, especially in my household, my husband's been at the same job for 18 years. He just changed and went to the work for the union he was part of. So it's like steady Eddie over here. And I'm like, bing, 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 bing. But I don't feel bad about the mess anymore. I think that's part of discovering that the way I operate is trial and error. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm always figuring it out. I'm not a planner. I'm a doer. I'm going to do it and then I'm going to see how it worked. And I used to feel really bad about that. And now it just is the way I operate. So very much less apologetic about it. So um, I want to dig into that. But first, I want to ask you, what were you doing right before COVID? Like digital marketing, like content marketing. And I I was doing strategy and managing. No, 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 no. I had the same LLC that I have now. I was just doing different things in it with clients, servicing clients on a retainer basis. Yeah. So how did the initial moment of COVID really impact the work you were doing? Um, I mean, everything slowed down, I think, for everybody. Um, A lot of the businesses that I was working with were brick and mortar at the time that were trying to get online and do more online. So that didn't really slow down at all in that way. People were, you know, help get online, get in front of people. Um, but it was more me. It wasn't the landscape of marketing that shifted. It was more like me sitting down going, oh my. And I also, I think I think I wasn't working in, and in, in, I was not good at what I was doing. I was doing a lot of project management. I have zero execution strengths in my top 10, Clifton strengths, zero execution strengths. So I am not somebody who should be doing project management at all. Uh, but my coping, my regular coping mechanisms during normal times were working. They were, I was, I was making it work. I was a lot of effort, but I was making it work. But when COVID happened and everything got extra stressful, I think all of that collapsed. And I had to face this reality that I wasn't particularly great at what I was doing, which meant there was something I should be doing that I wasn't doing. And that was the rub was like, what am I supposed to be doing here? What a, what a great uh, way to reframe that insight. Right. Like, and I do think that this was sort of a a global pause for everybody to reflect on, like, am I doing what I'm here to be doing? Am I, is this right? Like, is this where I want to put my energy? I, maybe I can do it, but I don't know if I want to do it, or maybe this isn't my, whatever it was. Like, I think having a chance to reflect on that, but then taking stock, it sounds like you did a really excellent job taking stock of the strengths you had, um, what you want to be putting energy into. And I also understand during COVID is when you got diagnosed. Yeah. What led to that? Like how did you think that Me and all the other women out there who are watching TikTok. Uh (laughs) It was TikTok. I was watching a TikTok and it was like, you might not just be a jerk. You might have ADHD. And it was, you know, listing all these little quirks and things that I thought were just personality flaws of mine. (laughs) And I 
was like, oh my gosh. So I, you know, did the inventory and I looked and I, you know, looked back in my life again and called my doctor and was like, I don't think it's just anxiety and depression. I think mm -hmm. I have ADHD. And he was like, I think that tracks. And I don't look at it like, and then I call my mom and she's like, I don't like labels. Meanwhile, I'm over here going, this is fantastic. I have some context now for why I'm always feeling like the crazy person around here and trying to act normal when really I'm divergent, which is how I look at it. I don't think, I mean, there's such a tiny sliver of what we call normal that we're trying to all to fit in this box of, and there's so many different ways to be and think and act and feel. And even though they don't look like what we're supposed to do, I think we should maybe like stop shooting on ourselves so much. Yeah, it is, can be very helpful to have something be named. Um, I, I have a kid who's autistic, and when the teacher in preschool so sort of gently approached us about this, I was like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna want to get testing. Like, we get when we want to get support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my wife's gonna be on board, and we both were. We were on the same page, one hundred percent. She was so pleased." <laughs> relieved relieved yeah. relieved is the word because that's not how a lot of parents reacted and it helped me because i've been growing more and more frustrated with his behavior and as soon as i realized it was just who he was i realized i'm the adult i'm the one who has to stop change i didn't change my behavior if i want a different result like you know i'm the one who keeps like doing the same thing expecting a different result like no 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 it's on me now and I have been a much calmer, less frustrated parent since then. And it was even before we had any interventions. It wasn't about interventions. It was just like, the oh, shift. that's just who you are. I get it. Your brain's is wired like that. The You're not doing shift. this maliciously. You're not trying to be whatever, right? Like all the yeah. all those personality quirks that we can we can label and and make in a negative way can also be a strength because it's like he's super creative, right? There's like all these other ways of looking exactly. at so there was I think it's great for you. It's so lucky to have you because that's such a great, I mean, how lucky that he gets to now grow into those strengths instead of trying to, you know, because I think a lot of what happens is you're right there. They are strengths. I, I talked too much as a kid. I talked a lot. I had a lot. I was loud. I was bossy. I was, you know, all those things, right. And messy and unpredictable and inconsistent. And that doesn't necessarily mean those are bad things, but when they get labeled that way, you tamp down those strengths and you try to, you know, and it's like a curse. My mom was like, you can do anything you want to do, which is like, so I've been trying to do whatever it was I wanted to do this whole time instead of really leveraging the strengths that came naturally to me. And you, you know, to wrap this back around to the whole relationship thing, when you're isolating yourself from people and you don't have a really, you know, close network, it's really hard to see those strengths because we mirror these things back to each other. I still wouldn't have a clue about that I had an ability to connect people to each other. If two really important women in my life hadn't told me, you know, that's not, not everybody does that. That's really hard. I was like, what? It is? But that's not something that you see in your, we don't see the great things about ourselves. That might be something we need to underscore for anyone listening, because it's so true. The things that come easily to us, we never appreciate. We don't, we don't think about that as being a value add to anything we do because it We're comes naturally to us. They're just doing it. We're like living our lives. And when someone else gets to say like, wow, it's amazing. I want to be more like you. And you're like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool that you get to bring that forward. Now, when did Revel Radio, Ravel Radio and Ravel Collective get started? Is that a recent thing? It's almost two years now. 
January 7th is our two-year birthday. What led um, to it? It was a lot of it was I was online. So all the stress of in-person networking was gone <laughs> thanks to COVID. And I was just connecting with all these interesting women online and I wanted to connect them all to each other, but it was very time consuming to do all these email intro introductions to each other. And I thought like, why don't we all just get in one space? So I created a container um, using Circle online. It's decentralized because I think on Facebook, a lot of times it's hard to be vulnerable when you're scrolling through the feed and there's all this political stuff happening and you know your family's on there and stuff and then you're getting in a group trying to be vulnerable and, and you have to be able to be vulnerable. So I collected all these women and said, hey, do you want to come in this community and we'll all network together because I was I was looking at how how we could be strategic about networking and referrals because I always got a lot of referrals when I was um, I, in fact for the first 10 years I was in marketing I didn't even have a website because it was all referral based awesome uh, but I was very specific about what I did and who I did it for and stuff like that so um, we just put them all in a container and we all started chatting with each other and it wasn't as much about business as it was just about life mm -hmm. and when did you start to monetize that or was that initially um, or it was about eight months in that chicken egg problem with communities is difficult it is it, it's I, I have to give you a lot of credit that it's still running two years in because it, getting a group going and and finding like the heart of a community and people committing to it not just you but like those yeah. core members that give back there's that's really what keeps it going um that's Kudos, because it really, it is, like you said, chicken and egg is really hard to do. I just shifted, I started a membership group um, like a year and a half plus ago um, after running a weekly free No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour um, for two years. And it was something I just did. And then I switched it to a monthly free event on the two year anniversary. And then, so that would be like April or March or April. Um, and then, yeah, and then this, it was like $10 a month the first, group of people who joined for that first month because they're my inside circle. Then it was $25 a month as like forever. And then I just last month switched it to $100 a month. Nice. And the people in the group don't change. Like they're just charging whatever they've, they're paying. But because yeah. the members inside are now so much like, they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is a hundred dollar value. I'm like, it's way even more than that. So we added a whole bunch of new programs and now members are stepping up to host member led activities. That's awesome. It's like, we just had this burst of energy. And like you said, it's that chicken and egg. Like I couldn't have out of the gate been like, this right. is a hundred dollars. Like, cause the value probably wasn't there in the very beginning or it wasn't proven, right? It wasn't proven. And the people have to see it. Yeah. They have to experience it and then they have to share it. And when they are sharing it organically, that's when you get this incredible growth. And like you, I'm not on Facebook. Like ours is through a company called podia.com, yeah. but it's less about the online. It's actually been that we meet weekly, right? It's a virtual, um, zoom aspect of it, which I want to get back to, cause you were saying that like the in-person networking was causing angst. Uh, it oh, wasn't your jam. Terrible. And, um, and you also mentioned like, you're the, the hoodie wearing, like, I mean, what's funny about the, the way you're describing yourself. I was thinking how I still don't feel like a grown up. Um, I, I am don't either. 49 years old. <laughs> yes. I'm 43. I'm, I'm like, when do we grow up here? I'm planning my 50th birthday, like trip celebration next year. And I still am like, am I dressed appropriately for this occasion? <laughs> yes. So I'm going to New York for the first time ever in like three weeks for this, um, she leads media conference and I'm more stressed about what to wear than anything else about the trip because it's, East Coast, it's like proper, right? Aren't we proper out there? So here's the funny part about that. So I'm a member of the National Speakers Association and I joined in 2015 
when I was just like going full time into entrepreneurship. I had been speaking for five years, but I was like, this is the thing. And I wore fancy shoes that hurt my feet while walking like football fields between events um, and like button down shirts and suits and, and just like things that probably felt like I was wearing like my dad's clothes kind of thing. Like none of it was me. And then COVID happened. My business took off like in a huge way. I was suddenly a thriving six figure business owner. And I came back to the next event because I've been going now for like almost 10 years of next year or 10 years. And I realized I don't need any of these people. I like them. And some of them will refer business to me, but this is not my audience of people who are buying for me. And what they're going to get if they do buy from me is me in a polo shirt because this is like, <laughs> this is my fancy. So I wore a polo shirt and shorts. And then I realized I'm not going to do that again because it was too cold. So, <laughs> so next time I'm going to do polo shirt and jeans because that is more my uniform. Um, but like, I, and I got rainbow shoes. I'm LGBT. Like this is my whole thing. I'm trans. And so I got these like fancy shoes made, <laughs> custom chucks. And so I was just like, Ooh, I, like I just that. off my custom chucks. And what happens is you find your people. So the other people like who were like me, like not, I'm not in the exact dress of uniform, but who also were not wearing, were like bucking whatever the trend is. Yeah. Honestly, I felt more myself. I felt more like I could show up. So I, I just want to say, do you like, <laughs> you know, cause the more successful you are, the less you care about those things and just, just breathe that into existence. Part of me wants to show up in a in a hoodie and flip flops, just because a woman would never be allowed to do that. Like mm -hmm. my cousin's a pretty successful business guy, and he's sh always shows up in his flip flops and his you know hoodie to see you to meetings or whatever. And I'm like, man, I could never get away with that. But why not? Who are you impressing in this space? Because the people like, who who, who do love I care? your vibe are going to come and hang out with you. Yeah, that's. I think that's where my head's at right now. I'm excited. I really want to hear where this goes because I think this is true for all of us. And the, the Zoom in some ways was such an equalizer. Yeah. If you found the right places to hang out, if you found people who are organizing, designing really good experiences. One of the things I love about Zoom is breakout rooms. And what it happens, I produce virtual events for my clients all the time. And there's always this moment where we go to open a breakout rooms and like a third to half the people flee. And I'm like, wow, it's so weird. And I talked to my wife about it. She goes, yeah, because like in person, you have to figure out who you want to talk to and you have to navigate the room and you have to like approach people and find out they're going to let you in. But in Zoom, you're sent to a room with specific people with a question. And even she's, she's like the way you do it with an order of people to go in by alphabet or whatever. She's like, it's so much. She's a shy extrovert. She's like, it's so much easier to network and meet people virtually. Why would people flee? And like, they're not prepared. They don't know to be online on camera. They're like expecting to oh. in or something. So I really think it's more about like expectations and like making sure that we let people know what to expect. So I'm getting curious, like what your experience has been in navigating that like camera on, camera off, how do I connect with people, breakout rooms, hosting, like how do you bring community together? Because you've got people I imagine like all regions. Yeah, I don't, I haven't had anyone in, we have, you know, after this call today, we have a small group mastermind and it's so casual if like five or six people show up and we don't want a mastermind, we'll just talk and chat and you know, whatever. Um, I kind of let them lead, like, what do you guys feel like today? How are we feeling? But I've hadn't, haven't had anyone keep their camera off unless they're like, you know, getting up really quick to go do something. But 
everybody feels, I think, really comfortable just coming as they are. And I explicitly say that too, you know, come as you are, take what you need. It's funny. I get a lot of people uh, like, will apologize sometimes like, oh, sorry, I haven't been, you know, on the calls. I've been so busy or whatever. And I'm like, hey, man, this is, it, that's fine. Like, if you need it, it's here. If you don't, you're busy. That's awesome. So I think just setting that kind of like you said, expectation of we're not expecting you to come in any sort of way that's not authentic to you. Yeah. I, I have a line on my, like, um, so my, I still host these no more bad zoom.com, like, you know, monthly calls. And it says something like, um, um, arrive when you can leave when you have to. It's like yeah. another one of those things where people think, Oh my God, it's five minutes past the hour. I can't show up. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I never want anybody like, I have a little bit of that. I don't know if it's, um, I don't know like, if it's oppositional defiance disorder or what it is, but as soon as someone tells me to do something, I don't want to do it. So I never want anybody to feel like they have to show up somewhere. Like if you would like to join us today, please do so. Otherwise, you know, whatever, we'll be you here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that the gatherings that you're describing um, are so powerful. I, what I did was I started the content and connection club for all the other Fridays that weren't the first Friday. And that's the club that now we do like co-working and a business book club and like, nice. you know, five minute member spotlights and whatever else we can. We just constantly dreaming up new ways to support each other. And there's a core group of people who come all the time. And then there's the people who pay, don't come. And then I'll get a random, like, please cancel. And then I'll write them and be like, okay, but just so you know, like, here's all the stuff you have access to. Do you want, and if you cancel, like the price is going to jump to this if you ever return, like, let me know. Like, I can take care of this for you. Oh, well, Robbie, it's on me. I haven't really been paying attention. I'm going to stay and I'm going to try to come to more things this month. I'm like, okay. Like, the, I get it. Like, in some ways, we sign up for things and like don't commit, but you get out of these experiences what you give. Like, by showing up, I'm sure the people who come regularly are getting so much more out of that connection. Is there a specific subset of um, entrepreneurial women that you're pulling from? Like, what what are the yeah. kind of work that they're doing? Are they in are they entrepreneurs? Are they in business roles in you know large companies? Like what kind of folks are you attracting? They're mostly solopreneurs or they have a small team and they're B2B service entrepreneurs. So bookkeepers and marketers and what else? Like HR professionals, uh, consultants. They're all, but they're all independent. And the idea is that we're we're networking community, so we're getting to know each other well enough so that we can be invested in each other enough to stop what we're doing and make the referral. We have to know each other. We have to know that we're good at what we do. And then we have to want to stop what we're doing and take the time to refer someone or send an article that they might want to read or whatever. So we're, we're, I've, I really lead with the relationship part of it because I don't think we we refer people we don't like. So it starts with kind of the liking and the knowing the person. I, I love that. And how has it gone? What, what success, success stories can you share? Uh, one of our members earned 90% of her revenue through referrals um, last year and so far, like 2022. And then this year, she said 100% of her revenue came from referrals and relationships that she built inside the community. And then one of our gals uh, just, just published a book and I got in there and it was cute because she was like, she wanted to share it with the community, but she didn't want to toot her own horn, you know, and, and it really is so much more effective when someone else says, look at her, 
look what she's doing. This is amazing. So I got in and said, look at Cara Hoosier. She just published Burnt Out to Lit Up. It's a really great book. Everybody should check it out. And we got the whole community together and we were like, let's be on her launch team. Let's let's read the book. Let's give her um, Amazon reviews. And she made it to number one in Amazon. And it was really exciting to be able to help her do that. That is really cool. That specific outcome that you just described. The referral thing is also amazing. You know, um, I've I've self-published or independently published three books, and I still don't think of myself as a writer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which talk about identity, right? <laughs> um, and when I got to the point where my first draft of my first book was like ready enough to send to an editor, and I was like, wow, this is really going to happen. And writing is not my, I mean, it's gotten better, but it wasn't like my favorite activity. And I, wait, this is a good book. I want people to read it. So then I stalled the launch timeline and I built a launch plan. And I was like, I want 100 reviews by launch day. And I did this like soft launch and I didn't know what I was doing. I just did everything I could. And I had 150 reviews within a week of the, the launch. Good and I, I've since done that two more times. So now I'm, I'm really like so excited to help other authors figure that stuff out. Because to me, it's about them tapping into their existing networks which is yeah. what you helped her do, right? Yeah. It's like helping find the people who already know you that want to support you and fellow authors are such a good place to start, but also who else in your network really needs to hear this message? Cause that's how you get invited on podcasts and shows and like lives and all that other good stuff. So it's amazing how people will commit to working on a book, which is to me a tremendous amount of effort. And then they'll just hit publish. <laughs> and it's like. What? Well, it was, I was really excited too, because she'd kind of been through this, you know, we'd watched her go through the journey. She shows up to the calls, she's invested in the community and we watched her go through this whole process. And then it was like, it's happening. And I think, I don't think there's a single one of us in the community that doesn't want to write their own books. So we're like, oh my God, she's doing the thing that we want to do. So. It's yeah. I think that's the other thing I've taken from being part of peer masterminds and being part of the content connection club is that if you are honest about your struggles with people, they're also they'll be there to celebrate your victories. Totally. Like it's not tooting your own horn. If you if yeah. you share the whole journey with people and not everybody, I don't mean like get on, you know, Facebook and share every moment of your life, but to find that community of people that will really have your back, which is, sounds like that's what you've created. It's kudos. Yeah, I mean, eight of us, or no, six of us just went to Mexico a couple weeks ago together. Um, I wanted to go on vacation and I didn't want to go alone. So I was like, hey guys, I rented a house in Mexico. Who wants to go? And so there were six rooms and, I could, you know, we really did know each other after spending time online for that long. And I, I hadn't met three of them in person before. And it was amazing. We, I mean, I got really sick halfway through and spent three days laying in bed. But other than that, everybody got along. Everybody was really kind and generous and just, it was amazing. Like you can meet amazing people online and build actual relationships that translate into in-person relationships. I really, that's another thing I feel like we have to repeat for listeners because I've you can heard do it. people say, oh, <laughs> Zoom, oh, Zoom. And I'm like, let's turn Zoom fatigue to Zoom intrigue because Ooh, I, like I also believe, thank you, uh, that I have in, like, I spent, I'm a great networker. I love to meet people. I'm all about going to events, you know, seven times a night, whatever. But the quality and depth of the relationships I've made in the last three years compared to the five years before is completely different because of repeat exposure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's the number of times a month that I'm able to see people and that they really are with me. Like we're really supporting each other. This is not the like once in a while you see someone at a conference or once in a while you have coffee with someone. 
this is like sustained conversations as opposed to starting from the beginning all over again every time. That's the magic. And I think coupling that with in-person is really great. Now that we're able to spend more yeah. time with each other in person, it's like keeping up in between using uh, any virtual platform that you can. Like even, um, I just got back into using Marco Polo. Are you familiar? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I have a group of friends that like two years ago, they started like a, hey, let's all like share our support around movement and diet and just like being healthier. There's just three of us. We've known each other since the first day of seventh grade. Oh my gosh. And I resurrected the the Marco Polo like two months ago and we're in there all the time. And it's it's really, it's even that asynchronous connection can really help. That's kind of the fun thing too about all the digital options that we have is that it really does trickle into like we're not just in in Ravel together. A bunch of us are on Voxer together or WhatsApp. Now the six of us have a WhatsApp group from the Mexico trip and we're chatting in that still. And so you create all these kind of little tiny containers where you get more exposure to certain people. And um, like it's pushing me out of my box. These women are pushing me into new realms like new york i'm going out there and i think there are i think there might be eight or nine women all from the ravel going to support one of our other members who's putting on the conference and i wouldn't have probably gone to new york because i don't really have any desire to go to new york and it's very very far and cold but i want to meet these women i want to i will get out of my house to meet these people and i thank them for that that's magic right there like I, I will remember, leave my home. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Yeah, because you have a relationship with them. It's it goes deeper than like it's, the effort is worth it because you because yeah. you really know them. Totally. So when you think about nurturing that extended network, you know, you of course you're going to stay in touch with the people closest to you. Um, but you think about that second and third layers and tiers out the people that you may not see as frequently. Maybe you met them at a conference. Maybe you worked with them five years ago. These are people you enjoy them. They enjoy you. That's that's of course a given in this context. How do you think about like nurturing those connections? Any habits, philosophies, practices for staying in touch? I have a weird practice that relates to networking in a way that maybe you wouldn't think, but mindfulness meditation, even five minutes, like a couple times a week helps me catch, because you know, our brain's always making connections and somebody that I don't see very often, I might see an article or something um, that makes me think of that person just for a split second, but I might not catch that thought if I'm not in tune with the thoughts that are all running through my head. So if I can catch that thought, I can be the random person who sends them an article and touches base and says, Hey, this made me think of you. So I think that helps a lot. I really appreciate that. I have a friend, um, actually I can think of a couple people who really been playing with quantum. Uh, uh, and Like the Joe um, Dispenza stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was thinking about how like you also could just like spend a few minutes thinking about them and see whether they end up reaching back out to you. That and, stuff's kind of wild. <laughs> it's, there's something there. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's cool. I'll, I'll think of some resources I can put in the show notes about that stuff. I've got a book I can think of and all that. So this has really been exciting to talk to you about your journey. Um, what's your current focus right now as you built a, a new business? It sounds like you moved away from the marketing. What is what is it you're really doing now to, to create value in the world? Um, I'm just working on the membership mm -hmm. for Ravel, bringing new members in when it makes sense. And then I'm doing some consulting too around people who want to build communities and want to get some help with that. And also networking strategies. Um, a lot of women feel really uncomfortable networking still. And I think we got to take that word back and, you know, strip off the, the ick and it just, it's relationships. It's not, it's not gross. It's good. 
So one of my first blog posts and first uh, podcast episodes titled, When Will Women Win the Right to Pockets? <laughs> so <laughs> I would say, I, would, I, I did this presentation for like 11 years. I'd ask the audience, when do women win the right to vote in the US? And people would generally know, oh, 1919, went to effect 1920. And so, okay, when, when are they gonna win the right to pockets? And then I'd hold up my phone, which is enormous. And I'd say, um, if you're a woman and your pocket only holds a chapstick, raise your hands. <laughs> So, yeah, that's a thing as a thing. Why do you think we get so excited when our dresses have pockets? I agree more and more designers <laughs> catching on. There were moments where my like three year old had more pockets than my wife did. Like, that's not <sighs> an issue. Right. So. Um, so, yes, I think that I've attracted a lot of women in my audience because for years I've named that I, I'm like I was the only person wearing a jacket at one event. I was I was a, a keynote at a women's leadership conference. Um, and I said, like, why is the temperature set for my comfort? <laughs> Ooh, like this is a room full of people here. I'm the one wearing a suit jacket, which I didn't really love. Right. Cause it wasn't my thing, but <laughs> playing the part, um, <laughs> pre polo. <laughs> and then I was like, huh? Like, so That's this is, I mean, this is the stuff that I, I think is so interesting to name. I'm excited about you going to New York and just being your own self and like, giving people permission. I actually got myself psyched into doing what I wanted to do with the shorts because it was a woman in the LGBT rainbow speakers group for NSA that asked, like, this is my first time. This is what I look like. Took a picture. She's like, am I going to fit in? Like, I, how, how am I like, what is this space going to be like? Colorful, you know, all from hair to shoes. And then we all tagged like one other person who's super colorful. And then she posted her outfit. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to be wearing my funky shoes. And like, I was like, like my, my funk is maybe not head to toe, but like, I was like, I can show up my feet, you know, like, yeah, so it was just like, Oh, I'm going to help create more space for her to be comfortable. That actually was a really an interesting motivating factor. So I don't know if that helps you, but if you, you know, that does your group that I'm going to be me, you be you, and we're all going to support each other in that, then maybe people aren't going to be like putting on pantyhose if they don't want to. You know, Ooh, pantyhose. <laughs> yeah, New York might be a little cold for flip flops, but I think I might wear my Vans. There you go. Yeah, get some custom ones. All right. Ooh. I know I got some custom. My first <laughs> pair ever of Chucks, and I like they're super cool. Um, so I'm about to get to my favorite wrap up question, but first we're going to pause for a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, so here's my wrap up question. Uh, we are going to stay in touch, Kara. I'm so excited 100%. to find out what happens with you and your community. Um, your people are totally like my kind of people. I love that you're su you're supporting all the people that support the businesses that I support. So I feel like there's some great synergy we're going to have to talk about because I don't have all those people. And some of my people might be your people. Yeah. Really interesting. But let's say it's a year from now and we're reflecting back on your year and everything that's happened. What are we going to be celebrating? What are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? I love this question. We're going to be celebrating that I started speaking. I'm going to do some speaking. This is like the next step in taking back that, you know, little girl who would not have hesitated. I love it. I'm going to now give a shout out to my friend, Bobby Carlton, who created Ooh. Innovation Women. And I'm uh, going to name the link. It's robbysamuels.com forward slash join IW for my affiliate link to send you into her community. You pay $125 a year. You get um, a membership profile on her website. People who are looking for speakers 
will look there, but she also curates a whole call for proposals list that she sends out. So if you were like wanting to pitch yourself to conferences and there's a weekly and bi-monthly meetings for people to come to, plus other events and things they do, super supportive community. And it's um, it's really focusing on getting uh, diverse voices, underrepresented diverse voices on stages with a focus on women, but all underrepresented diverse voices. And it's for all people, including men who are secure enough to be the only guy in the room, is the way she describes it. And I'm a member and I love this space. I try to go to their events every week. Um, so that would be a cool way for you to find your footing as you're navigating your way into this world of speaking. I've actually been a member for a year already, and hey. I have been like kind of on the periphery paying attention to it. But I think now that you've said all that, I think I should probably start paying more attention yeah, and actually like, get involved. And you're West Coast, so they have two events that are more West Coast friendly because they're, they're Friday. every Friday is like, you know, quarter to six in the morning for you. Uh, it's early for me and I'm on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. That's early. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but they have two others that are nine o'clock um, West Coast. So um, yeah. So awesome. Definitely. I'll put links in the show notes to all the things we've talked about. Awesome. Um, really including the book you mentioned earlier from your friend. So uh, how can people find you and follow your work? Um, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn and um, unravelcollective.com also. So those are probably the two places that are easiest to find me. Fantastic. We'll put that link and your Instagram. I see I've got your podcast here, uh, karasimon.com. We'll put all the links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Kara, awesome. thank you so much for, for joining us. This thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kara. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 365. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions so they get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained the professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.